Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche, and I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years now, both in Europe and here in the US. And every other week, I interview trending chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders to discover their secret behind the scenes and the new ingredients and flavors that they are experimenting with. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, Last week's episode guest was Kim Alter from Nightbird in San Francisco. So if you haven't listened to it, please you know subscribe to the podcast and uh, you will have access to all the 26 previous episodes that we have already recorded. This episode is a very special one. It's the one-year anniversary of the podcast. It's the episode number 27, and I cannot believe that I have already reached this milestone. The tables have turned for this episode, as I am the one this time on the hot seat. And my friend Katie Schlins, she's well known as Intoxicate Foodie on her Instagram account. She has as well a food blog about the food scene around Westchester in New York area. She kindly accepted to interview me. So thank you again, Kate. A special thank you as well to Shirin and Dylan for suggesting this idea for the one-year anniversary episode. Another big thank you to all my 26 guests who kindly accepted my invitation and generously gave bits of their precious time to be on the show. And obviously, a huge thank you to all of you who are listening to the show every other week, because without you, there would be no Flavors Unknown podcast. So let's close this first season of Flavors Unknown with me sharing the behind the scene of this podcast. Here we go. First of all, happy anniversary. Thank you very much, Kate. I appreciate that. Congratulations. It's a big endeavor. Yes, it's exciting. Very exciting. I didn't think, you know, a year ago that I will be, you know, still uh, working on the podcast today. So it's, it's pretty exciting. It is exciting. And I think it's really good because I think a lot of people, you're getting a lot of great feedback. I think a lot of people are, are tuning in. Indeed. I want to ask you, what made you pursue a career in food? Oh, wow. That's a question for like almost an hour answer here. I think that everyone who knows me would say that it's obvious that I love food. <laughs> I always <laughs> loved food. I think it started when I was a kid with my mom. Obviously, so maybe to say that I'm obviously French, I think that you can tell from the little little accents. People said I have an accent. It's tiny. It's tiny. Okay, thank you. (laughs) And uh, my parents were from the northeast part of uh, France, so between, like almost close to, um, you know, to uh, Germany. So the Lorraine, Alsace, you know, area. And uh, so I always remember my mom cooking Let's say cooking for the families of friends and when we have family events was very important. I learned how to cook as, to cook out when I was very young. So I think I, I learned first how to make a yogurt cake and then uh, maybe when I was six years old. And then I think I uh, tried 
the quiche, uh, the Rang quiche, because my mom was from that area. So the real recipe when I was maybe seven or eight. So I knew how to make quiche, you know, from that age. And I always been, you know, in the kitchen, kitchen with her. So I was lucky to have uh, parents that traveled for a vacation. So not too far at that time. So only with a car. We are talking about ancient history here. We're talking, um, you know, yeah, we're talking about the seventies. So I was lucky to go either uh, in where my dad is from and, uh, and a little village in the, in the northeast part of France. And I will always remember the smell every Sunday after church, going to a local bakery and boulangerie and have what they call like um, a pâté Lorrain, which is a, a really flaky crust pastry. And inside the filling is three different types of meats, including rabbit. And... I will, when I was a kid, dream of the time that we will go there on vacation just to go and buy this. So the food is always very, very important. Um, when uh, my parents went a lot to Switzerland when I was a kid, like the German side of Switzerland, and I tasted a lot of cheeses uh, when I was, um, you know, very young. So yeah, it's always been part of my education and the way I was uh, raised. I think, uh, so you're talking about like the professional part. So after my uh, high school, I went into chemistry. So somehow it was maybe to better understand, you know, like the chemistry behind food. I don't know. I had to uh, validate, you know, some of the th- my uh, university time and college and my MBA with uh, an internship and I discover the world of flavors. And I think that year I spent all the summer bothering, annoying my friends and family, bringing samples back from you know, the first company, uh, you know, I work for, you know, try to really um, understand the taste at the level of the molecules and combining flavors together. And I was lucky when I started, uh, you know, there was in, enough time or maybe it's a different culture being French and here now you're living in the US, but it was not that fast, you know, like here now you are hiring people and you want them to be operational and send them, to, right, right. you know, how it works. But at that time, I was lucky that uh, I could go from one department to another of the company. So I spent time with the flavorists. I spent time with food technologists. And I was always fascinated how they put together different molecules, you know, to come up with the taste of a strawberry or, you know, how uh, you can layer like a cocktail because you had to make uh, a specific recipe for the, um, you know, for a customer project. So that always fascinated me. And of course, we had a lot of chefs, you know, in, uh, in the structure, you know, as well. So nowadays that I am on the business side of this industry in, you know, in marketing, it's about what are really exciting you know, to me. It's the variety facing the challenges that can come one day from a culinary industry or a snack company or a beverage company or a yogurt, you know, company. And I think the other aspect that I love in this, let's say, function is the travels, meeting a lot of people. And I really always love engaging with, uh, you know, with people and creating like a network. So all of this as obviously food, you know, in the background. And uh, I spend a lot of time with uh, chefs and pastry chefs and um, mixologists because when you work in the food industry, you lot look up to them when mm-hmm. it comes to inspiration mm-hmm. and creativity. That's true. I feel like they're epicenter of uh, of all of that. You know, it's so interesting. I love asking that question because 
I always feel like people go back to that first moment they stepped in the kitchen and the first thing that they made. So I loved seeing your face light up when you were talking about that. When did you decide or why did you decide that you kind of wanted to transition into podcasting? So I think, first of all, I, I listen to podcasts. You know, I have a commute where I live compared to where I work. So, you know, we are talking New Jersey, New York area. So there's a lot of traffic. <laughs> and uh, I would say that the minimum time in the car in the morning on uh, in the evening is 45 minutes, but it could be up to one and a half hour. So I have a lot of time. So I, I listen to like radio, but after a while, I wanted to listen to things where, in fact, I can really leverage the time and maybe learn something. So mm -hmm. podcasts was really the solutions. I have a good friend of mine. His name is Alan Hart, and he has a podcast about, um, you know, about marketing. So it's called Marketing Today. So I listen to that. Yeah, I have to say that most of the podcasts that I listen are maybe like business related, you know, to what I do. I have, you know, other podcasts about like social media or social savvy or, you know, something like this. Uh, try to learn always like, you know, something new and, and really like the, you know, the platform. I think it's, it's great. It's, uh, there's a high level of engagement, you know, with, especially when they have a guest and uh, when they interview people, there's always rich content. And, you know, when you are in marketing, you're always looking for, very good content that you can share with, with an audience. And I think that's the reason why I like, you know, podcasting. And at the end, you know, it's relatively easy, you know, to do. Relatively. I say relatively. Relatively. Let's I say mean, when I started, I thought it was very easy. <laughs> now that I dived into it, it is relatively easy. <laughs> and how did you get started? What was, you know, kind of your first step that you took to, to start this podcast? I think that's, you know, the people that knows me again will say that I could be uh, in all in the way that if I st start something or I will not start something unless I know that I can commit to it and I can deliver. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to jump and put my toe on the water and try it. I know there's, you can listen to a lot of things like this. I didn't want to just like, um, you know, plug a mic and start babbling. I really spent the time to make a lot of research, mm -hmm. try to understand the best practices. I think that what really helped me, I attended a conference, which is a very good conference about podcasting called the um, podcast movement. There was enough, again, we are talking about content. There was enough content there that I could really summarize the best practices. And I said, okay, so if I want to do it, first I need to do that. Second, I need to have this mm -hmm. and so on. And I have enough as well, little tips to make sure that, you know, I could start and I can, you know, continue for the long run. So, <laughs> Well, I'm sure, you know, when you first started and you're thinking about how this is going to kind of all come about, you have to come up with a really great name, right? So how did you come up with Flavors Unknown? Yes. So I think there's two main reasons. The first one is because when I think people don't really understand, know too much about flavors. And when you talk to chefs and you talk to pastry chef and mixologists, this is what they play with. <laughs> Maybe they won't say play, but they say experiment <laughs> with every day. What was interesting for me is to look at behind the scene and understand what are those new ingredients and flavors that they are experimenting with. 
So that's the one aspect was, you know, the unknown part, which is interesting. I'm always want to discover new things. The other point of reference is obviously Anthony Bourdain. It was very important for me to pay homage, you know, to him because when I launched the podcast, it was unfortunately not too long after that, you know, he passed away. And for me, he was really an important figure, you know, in the culinary space and culinary scene, you know, in the US. So it really shown like people new ways, you know, looking at restaurants and as well, watching his shows, it was about being introduced to new locations, you know, new places when it comes to food that you may never thought about before. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was new ways as well to um, thinking about street food. You know, we had that show Part Unknown mm -hmm. and the unknown part of my name came from that because I wanted to, you know, have an homage to um, Anthony Bourdain. He's a great person to, to pay kind of respects to, to give kind of a little shout out to in your podcast name. And going back to talking about, you started talking about how the podcasts you listen to are were a lot about marketing mm -hmm. and obviously flavors and you have this really great passion for wanting to learn to learn more. What is the mission of the podcast? You know, who are you speaking to and and what are you trying to accomplish with this? Oh boy. Yeah, it's the a mission big, it's is a heavy big question. It's, it's a, a heavy question. question. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, um, maybe I should have thought about this one before. <laughs> we'll start with the easy one. Who are you trying to speak to? The mission is really about creating a platform for chefs or pastry chefs and, you know, mixologists or bartenders to share some of their passions or the things that they are doing behind the scene, the, how they approach, you know, creativity. Because you go to a restaurant and then, you know, you look at the menu and you see those exciting series of words that are describing, you know, a dish is going to somehow connect with you or one of those dishes are going to connect with you. And I'm always curious to say, what was the process, you know, from the chef or from the mixology if it's, a, you know, a drink to combine those ingredients, to think about what's the original idea? You know, was it the produce? Was it the memory? Was it travel? Talking about the audience. So I think there's multiple audiences, but one are the other chefs and other bartenders and other pastry chefs that are always curious to understand what the others are doing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like their creative process, uh, who were their mentor? You know, mm -hmm. that's uh, something as well. What did they learn from it, uh, from them? How did they grow their business? Mm -hmm. You know, I had the chance to have like a different, I would say, level of chefs in, you know, on my podcast and, you know, from people that have maybe one restaurant, but people that have 14 restaurants. So how do you expand your business? And I think like other chefs are very, very interested, you know, about this. The other aspect are people like me, I mean, foodies, mm -hmm. and uh, they're always curious about, oh, maybe I'm going to learn a tip, you know, that I have a tip that I'm going to uh, apply, you know, in my own cooking and, uh, you know, cooking in my kitchen. It is about as well dis discovering new locations because it's about, like, uh, you know, having like, oh, now there's a new restaurant that I have on my radar screen and I have to try it next time I am in, I don't know, Chicago, New York, LA, mm -hmm. and so on when I travel. And we talk a lot about cookbooks as well. So um, I think foodies, you know, are interested about this. And I think the um, the third, I would say, audience 
profile are the people that are in the food industry and they are always looking for inspiration. As I said before, looking up to uh, chefs and, and mixologists to find like new ideas and, um, you know, combining, you know, different tastes together and so on. So that's the mission is really to offer this platform for the guests to be able to share and the audience to learn. It makes it much more interactive because even if I know you you mentioned the the menu before and how you're seeing this collection of words to describe a dish, even now with the interactivity with Instagram and we're seeing mm-hmm. all these chefs kind of throw ideas back and forth and and be inspired by other chefs and what they're posting, this platform really allows them to kind of get the the nitty gritty of how that all comes together because you can look at a dish and see a description and maybe be inspired. But I think you're even more inspired when you actually hear the thought process behind it. So, you know, thinking about that and talking about, you know, process, what does your process look like when you're putting together an interview or a podcast? I just mentioned it to you. I just plug the mic and I go on. <laughs> <laughs> you just plug it in and you go. That's it. Exactly. We start talking. Exactly. That's, some people said to me, that to me once and you say, oh, but what's the big deal? I mean, you just like, you know, plug a mic and then you ask questions and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. There's a lot that goes into it. And now I understand when I was listening to the people at the conference saying that if you are not passionate about the topic, you know, that you want to launch the podcast about, don't do it. Because the time that you are thinking that you are going to put into, multiply it by three. And yeah. this is true. It's true. I think I have a like really lousy life probably. <laughs> oh, and I spend a, no. a lot of hours in the evenings and on my weekends. So I have to say that, you know, I have a different life stage now being a bit older and the children, uh, they do not need me the same way they needed me in the past. So I have a little more free time being separated as well. Help. You know, I have yeah a lot of time in front of me, I guess. So that's the reason why, you know, I could get into it. So, but there is, if you are thinking about the process, there is seven steps, you know, in the process. Okay. Basically, first of all, you have to establish a connection with the person that you want to have as a guest, you know, on the podcast. Then you have to have an agreement because having a connection is not enough. Especially when you're talking to chefs, you know, that are hyper busy. Yes. And you know that story. I know that story. And very you well. need to be, make sure that you stay connected. You don't want to bother them. You don't want to yeah. annoy them. So you cannot be on their case, like on, you know, daily basis. That's an interesting part. Then after that, when you, uh, they agreed, then there is the whole research because you cannot go into the interview like the one we are doing today, without you spending time <laughs> in advance to learn about who is this Emmanuel Large guy. So you do the same thing, you know, with the chef, you search with everything that exists. Sometimes you have to discuss with them first. And it is very useful because you have to put together, you know, a series of questions that mm-hmm. you, I am sharing main, the main question with them because I, I want them to make sure that they, you know, that they think about the content again, because we are talking about rich content. Uh, so it's important to share those questions. So mm-hmm. questions is step number four. Then after that, there is the recording, the recording aspect that I do most of the time remotely, uh, you know, okay. on the phone, or it could be as well face-to-face, like the one we are doing today, we which are is very doing, nice. Yeah, that is nice to... And then when this is done, there's another aspect of the podcasting, which is editing. I edit the podcast 
Why? Because I just want to focus on the content and to have rich content. So I'm trying to have a podcast which is 35 to 45 minutes because otherwise after that, I think that people lose the sometimes the interest mm-hmm. and um, the focus. And after editing, this is again another complete life that starts, which is the promotion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because... This is strange, but you are doing this for people, but the problem is like people don't know about it. Right. Correct? Right. So you want to put it out, but then you have to let them know that it exists. Mm-hmm. So social media is here, but you know, when you start, no one is listening. The promotion aspect, you know, is important. And uh, I think that for me, it's key if, you know, the people that really like the, you know, the podcasts, they can have a role as well and they can help the hosts, you know, to, to promote the podcasts. They can share it with the other foodie friends. They can share it with, uh, sometime, you know, like the network they have. And maybe they, you know, they, they don't have that in mind. You know, they mm-hmm. listen to it. They enjoy it. But, you know, if you do spread the good news. <laughs> yes. Well, I've learned in my, you know, several years of doing this that not all chefs realize that it's a great promotional tool. So you kind of have to coach them a little bit to help them understand that, well, this is how you can use this. And these are the assets that I'm providing to you. And, you know, this is where you can, this is where it can live. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I've seen that some of the chefs are are doing it Mm -hmm. very well. I have to say like from um, the guests and I can name him because he has done a terrific job, you know, at it. It is uh, executive chef Andre Natera from the Fairmont Hotel Mm -hmm. in, in Austin. You know, I think this, the episode that has the most download because of, you know, the great work that he has done of promoting it. So thank you, chef. If you're, <laughs> if you're listening to it, thank you. Another chef that recently did a very good job is uh, chef uh, Jose Garces with uh, his team. So again, great promotion, you know, on their end. And some other chef don't, that's not part of their world. And, right. You right. Know, so it, so I'm trying to help them. I prepare always, you know, all the links and I prepare visuals and I share with them the day when the podcast, their interviews, um, you know, is aired. And then, um, you know, if they want to promote, then they have the tools to do it. But I was thinking as well, like the other people, like the foodies, you know, that are listening to it and, you know, that subscribe to it. It's easy for them, you know, to share it. And sometimes they don't, they don't really think about it. And, but if you know, as I said, other other friends, your friends that you know love food, yeah. then please, you know, share. Share it, share it. Share it. Flavors share unknown. it. Share it. <laughs> Did I say share it? <laughs> now, every interview that you do includes these rapid fire questions, Uh-oh. which I love. Uh-oh. We're not gonna do them yet. I we have oh, rapid questions for oh, you. Man. We're gonna put you in the hot seat. But I, you know, it's very interesting to me that you incorporate this in, into your podcast mm-hmm. every, every time. So I want to know why the rapid fire questions and the chefs don't get these in advance. No, Those are not at okay, all. So, so that's exactly why it's because again, going back to, and you know, probably because of my marketing background, but it's all about trying to have rich content. Mm-hmm. So, and for me to have rich content, I don't want to you know, ask the question that they haven't seen before, like when it comes to the content, Mm -hmm. because they are going to answer the first things that come to their mind. And sometime later they would say, oh, shoot, I should should have said that. So when it comes to the creative process, when it comes to their mentor, when it comes to 
the ingredients that they are experimenting with, you know, all those questions, I share them not too long ago, not, not too long in advance. You know, mm. it could be like three days before the interview, but at least by looking at them, you know, they have an idea of, you know, what they want to say. But you want to keep the spontaneous, uh, you know, aspect right. of the, an interview. So, and it's always fun. I try to have a series of questions that they will never seen before. And they can answer, you know, quickly if they want to, you know, spend more time on it. But those ones, they, they never seen it. So there's kind of like a different rhythm, you know, in, in the podcast because of that. Do you feel like you get the best answers when you do the rapid fire? Because of what the rapid fire questions are about, I think it's easier for them. To, to answer. And I think it's a good answer because of what the topic of those, you know, it's like around, you know, if they said to me during the conversation, I have long collection of a large collection, sorry, of, of cookbook. So it's easy for me to say at the end as a rapid fire question, oh, what is the most inspirational cookbook that, you know, you have in your collection? So can you tell me like three cookbooks that are important to you and so on? So that's easy for them, you know, to answer. Mm -hmm. But if I ask them and as a rapid fire question, what is your creative process? You know, that's much more difficult. How do you decide who you're going to interview? Because I can imagine that you have a, a quite a long list of people that they're you... They're all knocking on the door. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're all saying, I, mean, we, I we want did, to be on it. We did have to put a sign, uh, you know, exactly. keeping the, people out. <laughs> the, exactly. the door is closed here at the moment. Uh, it's locked. Okay, good question. So, first of all, what's important is that they have like a recognition. So, they have been awarded one way or another. Maybe it's not like a James Bid award as a finalist, mm -hmm. but maybe they are a semi-finalist or, you know, they have been um, selected by James Beard Foundation or they have been awarded by Starchef. That's for me, it's, it's interesting because if those companies, you know, selected them, that there's a reason they are very professional, you know, organizations. So they know, you know, what they are doing. So that was very important. Then after that, for me, which is important is that I have an interesting story to tell. There's something that they can talk about, which is a different topic. So think about like in the people that I've interviewed, Drew Adams, for instance, Chef Drew Adams from uh, the Four Seasons in Washington, D.C., uh, the Bourbon Steak restaurant, is passionate about uh, foraging. I think it's an it's outstanding topic. And uh, we spend time, you know, on the podcast, you know, talking about this. And he has a a program concept that he calls foraging and feasting, where in fact you can Love contact that. him and you can go foraging with him. And then after that, you can go to the four season and he's going to make a tasting menu based on the type of food that you have seen during the foraging, you know, excursion. So I was lucky after. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that you you were going to just sl slip that right in, that you yeah, got to do so, that. And I was uh, just going to yeah, be totally yeah, envious. I love him. So I, uh, <laughs> when I heard about it, after I turned like the stop recording button, <laughs> so I said, hmm, so what's the best month to go foraging and feasting, you know, with you? So I was lucky in uh, March, uh, this March, I went with my younger son, we went to Washington, D.C. And I spent the whole um, day almost with him. And so it was only the two of us with him and we went foraging oh, wow. in uh, the woods and along the Potomac River. Then after that, we went back into the kitchen and uh, he prepared for us, especially he was the chef cooking for us the whole evening and we stayed four hours and I had an 18 
Corsi's tasting menu. Listen, you don't have to rub it in. No, you, know? <laughs> you don't <laughs> have with to rub it time. in. Yeah, no, next so, time I'm in. Absolutely. But, but, I, but I can, so, so, you know, so that's the, that's this idea of the, having a story to tell. Right. And then you have the other ones that are knocking on the door. We were right. talking about right. this and yeah. I was very exciting to have like several chefs that reach out to me through Instagram. Did I mention that I have an Instagram? <laughs> yeah, what's your Instagram handle? Why don't we just throw that right in? It's called at uh, Flavors Unknown. Oh, all right. So they direct message me and one was uh, some friend from uh, White Birch Restaurant in New Jersey. Okay. He, he heard that I've uh, interviewed another chef from New Jersey. There's great chef in New Jersey. So Chef Aaron uh, Ryan from... Um, Come and yeah. in Milburn. Okay. And um, so he, he, he listened to the interview and he said, hey, that's great. I really love it. And uh, why don't you come over and have a discussion? So that's the um, uh, way of doing it. Same thing with uh, Chef Andre Natera from the Fairmont. Reach out to me at the end of um, last year. So the podcast was very recent. And he said, you know, how much he loved it and that it would be great next time I'm in Austin to uh, to connect. That was very exciting to me because he's an executive from executive chef from a hotel, which was completely different from what I had before. Different perspective, of yes, course. Yes, exactly. So it sounds like you're traveling a lot. I love traveling. Yeah, yes, I'm a little I jealous. I, maybe I should have expanded my area from just outside of Westchester and Fairfield counties. <laughs> Come on. You are very well known. You are everywhere. So don't be jealous. <laughs> I do want to ask you because I know I know what my answers would be to these questions, but I, I'm curious to ask you what you find the hardest part of interviewing and the easiest part of interviewing, because I hmm. think there's a lot of different things that we could c cover here. There's a lot of different elements sure. to the interview process. So what is the hardest part for you and what is the easiest part for you? I think the, the hardest part is starts before the interview. So for me, Again, it's always the same rule that what comes out is based on what comes in. You have to do a lot of research. You have to prepare the interview. You need to make sure that you know what you're talking about to make sure that you are referencing the right history of the chef and, mm -hmm. you know, and then a lot of that. And then you're asking questions that you know that they are topic that they are interested in. So the research part is the hardest. And the other part is during the interview which you have to force yourself to make sure that they are in the light. So they are the guests. Mm -hmm. So they are the one talking and not to interrupt them, not to, you know, have long intros or, and, and so on, because it's, it's about them. They mm -hmm. are, they are the guests and they are the one that has to shine and, and they are the one that produce the content. So I think this is the, the important aspect and to keep the, the whole interview, uh, you know, engaging. That story, you asked uh -huh. me the hardest. So the easiest. easiest, which I thought would be the hardest, I think at the beginning is the technology. Oh, Look at it today. Okay. We almost uh, forgot like everything for the recording <laughs> today. And then in five minutes, <laughs> we put like minutes, everything yeah, together. Yeah, it was like we jerry, jerry exactly. it. So I remember that my first interview as probably yours, I was stressed like hell. And the poor guy, I, I feel for him because it, I was focused on the technology because I said, if it's not recorded, what do I do? That's, I have to yeah. call him again and we have to do it all, all over yeah. again. So my first guest, so I have to thank him 
because without him, I would not have had the podcast. Mm, so his name is Jesse Vida. And he's probably still sweating after, you know, I remember like <laughs> hanging up. He would say like, what the heck happened? So he was the mixologist at Blacktail, uh, which is a fantastic bar, you know, in like um, Battery Park area of, mm -hmm. uh, of Manhattan. Now the lucky guy moved to Singapore and he has, is at a, a fantastic bar called Atlas in Singapore. So Jesse, if you are listening now, <laughs> I would love to interview you again. It would be like number two, the return one year after. I promise you it would be much better. <laughs> well, for me, I feel like the technology is the hardest part because you never know and it's, it might just go down or a mic stops working or, you know, you lose the interview and that's sure. always, you know, I'm, I've got my eye on the computer. I'm yeah, like, is it still on? In fact, is we it still do on? That now to make sure that it's still on. Who's yes, checking it's in? Working. It's still so working. Fantastic. Okay. Most memorable interview. Do you have no, a, a moment this, that this, was just maybe, you know, really stands out for you? This is like a tough one because people, person. So I can find like a great rational for all the interview that I've done and I have interviewed. So I all, I like all of them. I have to say that this, I have to say thank you again for the three celebrity chefs that I had, you know, on the show. So. Jose Garces, that I call like a competitive mindset. Mm -hmm. Then I had Chef Eduardi, which I call like the Marco Polo of American cuisine. And then David Burke, who is really a creative mind. So thank you again for, for being, um, you know, a guest on my show. It's memorable because you always say and think that they are not going to appear, you know, when you do it remotely because they are so busy right. and say like, who am I? You know, so come in their universe. And then I was lucky that um, Eduardi, I did it face to face as well, Jose Garces, but Eduardi invited me to, you know, his apartment complex to do like the recording. And that was a special moment. But uh, they are all like interesting. Like, as I said before, Chef Andre Natera um, was a very exciting time for me. He spent a lot of time before to show me like the whole kitchens, all the different concepts, the food concepts and uh, mm -hmm. in the hotel, you know, in, in Austin. I call him like the culinary Yoda. So he love about yeah, this okay. is because when you spend time with him after an hour, you understand why he's considered like a mentor, mm -hmm. you know, for like uh, all the people that he has been working with. And he was very sincere. So for me, it was a special moment because he was really open to share some of the difficult time that he had as a chef facing some maybe difficult critics, you know, when he had his own restaurant in the past. I will thank him forever because it's it's it was really a great experience. Sam Mason, you know Sam Mason. I love Sam Hot Fellows. Mason. You know, I say it's a friend because we have been doing different things, you know, at the professional level. Uh, but it's the ice cream wizard. So, I mean, it's every time that you want to try something new and different, uh, this is where you go because his imagination is has no limit. It's true. So it, another one that was very, you know, I can go on and on. You can go another on, yeah. Another one is... Fiori Tedesco. So he's a chef from Austin, from Locadoro. He is this nice guy. is very generous. And, uh, you know, I, I like to talk with him. Uh, he's a people person. And it's, I discovered the whole term of like sanctuary restaurants. It's very important when I'm, and interesting when I um, do the, the interviews is to see the states of the industry at the moment and the gap that exists between like the front of the house and the back of the house. And there's a lot of thought so that industry has to change. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying this is the solution, but 
the way how you hear or you listen to Chef Fiori Tedesco talking about it, it's, uh, it gives you hope. So I, I really love that. And, um, I just came back from Portland. So I, uh, I was lucky to see again Chef Bonnie Morales okay. from Kashka. And, uh, I love her, the story of her family from Belarus, not Russia, Belarus, but she really, for me, what was very interesting talking with her is the fact that to make sure that their employees understand what they are talking about, they have done in the past, and I think they will reprogram in the future, but like a trip with their, uh, some of their employees to Belarus mm -hmm. uh, for them to, um, to experience how many chefs, you know, do that. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. So there's a lot of, and I'm sorry, I forgot, you know, probably a lot of them <laughs> and I do not want because I, I love, you know, I love them all. <laughs> right, right. Knowing that I'm asking you this question and, and watching you talk about some of these chefs and, and the interesting stories they have to tell, I have a feeling I'm going to know some of the answer of this question. But what really inspires you outside of these chefs when, and you're lighting up when you're talking, talking about them? What is inspiring to you? Outside of the chefs? Outside of the chefs. In the food industry. Travels. Traveling, I try to go at least at one place that I do not know. Mm -hmm. I'm exciting because like uh, very soon in October, I'm going to uh, go with my son in Japan for the first time. I mean, I just uh, feel like you're throwing these things out here now just to make me jealous. <laughs> I just feel like that's, you're just you know, rubbing I, it in I now. always, you know, try to do something. I went with my daughter to uh, Morocco. You know, last year, I we went to Costa Rica. I always try to discover something new because it's inspired me not only about the food, but the culture, mm -hmm. people. So the other source of inspiration comes from people. I try to listen to people, try to spend time with them, listen to what they have to say. Everyone has an interesting, you know, experience. They have to be genuine, though, I, mm -hmm. you know. I don't like people that pretend or have big egos. So it has to be very, very natural. You can learn, learn a lot from, um, you learn every day from, you know, people. So inspiration will come from people I meet and not only in the food industry, it could be, um, you know, could be uh, any, any profile of individuals and traveling. So that's, that inspires me. I feel and like I, I should have I, known, known that through your Instagram because yeah. I know that's the other thing that you post a lot about is all your travels. Yeah, I know. And every time you say, you've been somewhere again. <laughs> so. I'm like, tell me about Cuba. <laughs> oh my gosh, Cuba was fantastic. That was, uh, I was lucky to go there where it was still like easier, I would say, because unfortunately it's not that easy now that it mm -hmm. was um, maybe two years ago that I went there. That was amazing. I met uh, fantastic people, very humble, very generous people. And usually what I do, I stay on Airbnbs because I really want mm -hmm. to meet, you know, and to have a full immersion in mm -hmm. the culture. So if I stay in a hotel, it's different. But, uh, you know, if you go to Airbnb, I had had the chance to stay in an Airbnb where the host was the former manager of all the uh, cigar factory. In Cuba, mm. and the poor guy, of course, you know, now was retired. So that means he has like no, nothing to live with. Yeah. And fortunately, the way the system is there. But, um, you know, he thought about like opening an Airbnb. And uh, that was, it was interesting because my Spanish is very limited and his French was zero and his English either. So uh, we had great conversations. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I'm sure you did. All right. Are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Oh, no. 
<laughs> I think it's the end. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bye. No, you got to get in the hot seat. You got to feel. Oh, you got to feel it. You got to feel feel like the you know how how the chefs feel. All right, first one up. Your favorite flavor? Oh, it's like it's like what's my favorite? Kid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have three children. I love them all. All right, <laughs> so, give us give us top no, three. Top really three. That's what it is. But if you come to um. What is my favorite ice cream flavor is the latest flavor that Sam Mason has created. Oh, that was an easy out. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. But when you know, I favorite flavors. I was, I love green tea, matcha green tea. Okay. I like honey. Okay. Like, uh, lavender. Oh, all right. I, I feel like I, I'm starting to see a little bit of a trend <laughs> okay. here. I, I love, I like spicy. So everything which is spicy, I love. So, um, I love ginger. I love uh, chipotle, you know, that type of thing. So uh, a great taco with, you know, some chipotle. It's it's cool. All right. But it's it's very diff- difficult for me to answer because I... Because you love them um, all. Usually when I go to a restaurant, I will look for the unknown. So I will look for gotcha. something that never selected before. Okay. You're going out to dinner. It's Friday night. What cuisine are you generally gravitating towards? Sushi. Okay. It's, uh, That's a good one. I, I love sushi. What's the one thing that you look for in a restaurant? It would be definitely on the menu, studying the menu and looking at the creative aspects. I'm not a mainstream. I'm not, like for instance, I have a hard time to go to a traditional French restaurant because for me, it's déjà vu. Mm-hmm. And I said déjà vu. And he said <laughs> déjà vu for me. And then it will um, say like it's boring. Sorry. But I, I always gravitate to dishes where I see the twists. Or I like twists on classics. That is fine. Or I'm going to look for, oh, there's a combination of tastes that i never seen before. So I, I have to have this. But otherwise, now thinking about it, there is always two things that if it's on the menu, I will take. Okay. Scallops. Lobster. And duck. Oh, I, you know, you and I are very similar in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Aside from the whole, I'm not French, but everything okay. else, we're on the same. But it's too bad you're married and I'm married. <laughs> not, not really, but okay. <laughs> and I've gone out with you enough to know that you love a, co- a, a great cocktail. That's so, true. So, spirit of choice. Spirit of choice. Can I rank? Okay, so leave vodka out because I, um, I don't like vodka. It's like empty calories for me. There's no taste. Sorry. Bonnie Morales there, there will goes, kill me if she has... Say, there goes all your vodka sponsors. So, okay, bye. Uh, sorry. Bye-bye. I love mezcal and I love tequila. Thanks to uh, Chef uh, Junior Marino, who introduced me to uh, those several years back. I discovered a whole world that I didn't know. So, and otherwise, bourbon. I was always into whiskey when I was based in Europe. And I was traveling, I was always bringing a bottle of whiskey. But when I moved to the U.S. 17 years ago, I decided that I should focus on local goodies. So I decided to discover the world of bourbon. Oh, yes, I discovered it. <laughs> because now I go to, you know, I was at in Portland and I went to uh, a whiskey, uh, the whiskey uh, restaurant, whiskey bar, which is like very famous. I don't remember the name of it. When you look at the menu and then you look at it and you said, at the end, there's only three that I do not know. I said, either I am an alcoholic or I am a foodie. So let's go through the foodie version. <laughs> Podcast you're listening to right now. Mine? Yeah, no, sorry. 
I should not say that. Flavors unknown. Uh, <laughs> podcast that I'm listening to at the moment. So the the one from my friend, like marketing today. I think it's a it's a great podcast. Okay, last one, and then you're off the hook. Piece of advice you give someone who is interested in starting a podcast. My first piece of advice is take a piece of paper, and if you have based on the topic that you want to do, if you cannot stop writing ideas or guests, you know, then you are into something. Because if you start forcing yourself to create content around the topic, because after five lines, you say, hmm, I'm not sure what's the sixth one. That's a wrong topic. Because what is important with podcasting is being regular and to have a frequency. So I'm doing it already every other week which usually it's, you know, every week on a weekly basis. I cannot do it because I do it on top of my, you know, other job. So if you cannot produce content, you know, forget. Then the other one is make sure that you're passionate because it's going to consume much more time than you think it will. And after that, I mean, listen to podcasts and other podcasts and listen to, you know, make notes of things that you like, things that you don't like. Make notes of the things that you don't like and make you like switch off the radio or like your iPhone because it annoys you. So that's as well good, good practice. I think that's a, a lot of people are concerned about the technology. Uh, I think it's easy to find a good mic, good find, uh, find like a recording, you know, platform. I think focus on the content. I think that's the important part. Well, I just want to let you know that I am completely honored that. I am interviewing you, kind of flipping the switch. I am. I know you're rolling your eyes at me, but oh, they on. can't see it, but I'm going to say that you're doing it. But I am. I'm very honored that you selected me to kind of flip the switch and, and interview you for a change for As your you anniversary. Know, it was an idea from a good friend of ours. So, yes, um, yeah. So that was um, yeah, a good idea. It's like a terrific idea. So thank you so much, Kate. I really appreciate that uh, you want to spend uh, an end of the day with me. Of course. And, uh, and uh, doing this great interview. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Okay, this is done. Wow, I think I'd rather have the chefs, you know, on the hot seat instead of me. Thank you again, Kate, for interviewing me. I have to say it was fun and I had, you know, a good time and I'm glad uh, we did it. So thank you again for all the chefs and the guests who appeared on Flavors Unknown on season one. Thank you to all the listeners and the subscribers. I hope that you are all subscribers of Flavors Unknown. Please continue to listen to it and please share it with all your friends and family because word of mouth is the best way you know, to promote the podcast. I'll always love as well to receive feedback. So go to flavorsunknown.com and share your comments on the comment section, you know, at the end of each of the episode show note page, or you can go as well in the podcast survey, which is on the contact page. You can follow my Instagram post at flavors unknown. The next episode will be the beginning of the season two of flavors unknown. And I would like to give you the opportunity to ask questions to be featured on my interview with the guests. To do so, go to the contact page on flavorsunknown.com and in the feedback comment section, enter in the subject line the name of the guests 
And then in the message section, the question you would like me to ask. So here's four of the guests that I'm going to have in season two. Very excited to have Chef Gabrielle Kreuter, who is a two Michelin star in New York City. I am trying to convince Chef Brad Gilmore in Miami. He has a lot of restaurants there now. He has Alter, Amber, Kaido, Brava. And then Chef Andrew Whitcomb, who is at uh, Floret, at the Sister City uh, Hotel in New York City. And as well, uh, the couple Laura and Syed from Noosh in San Francisco. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.